Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hi, welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. Here we talk about real estate investing in the Calgary market, and we learn from other experiences of real estate investors. On today's show, I had Shirley Evans. Shirley is just a wealth of knowledge. She really understands the Calgary market. She's been a realtor for more than 20 years. And over those years, she's been involved with almost 60 flips in Calgary. Her most recent flip, she bought a property in February when the market was crazy. And we talk about that, some of her learnings, lessons learned, what she would do differently. Yeah, and some of the challenges that she faced during that flip. Hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome, Shirley. Good morning. How are you? Oh, fine. How are you doing this morning, Corey? Doing good. It's Friday, which is awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. If you could just tell me some information about yourself, how you got into real estate, and also how you got into real estate investing. Sure. Well, 22 years I've been a realtor and I was in nursing for 22 years. And I got to the point where shift work and every other weekend was getting to me. And I thought, what can I do? Didn't want to go back to school. I was in my mid 40s by then. So I thought, well, what can I do without a degree? And had always loved real estate and had loved, you know, renovating and decorating and that kind of thing. So at the time, the real estate course was a three-week full-time course, not like it is now. So I managed to squeeze some time off my work and took the course. And when I finished, realized that it was a very dry, boring course with very little education on how to be a realtor. So I did both for a year. The surprising thing with doing the real estate side and doing open houses, I met a pile of people. And through that, fostered my love of renovating and it sort of got me going as to things that I could do and not have to be a nurse anymore. So I ended up in 2001, left nursing completely and started focusing in on real estate. And it was a life-changing, actually. I should have done it a lot sooner. It still was crazy hours. It's still, you know, weekends and midnight phone calls, but it gives you the flexibility of being an independent business person and having options to see the sunshine and do whatever, and then delve into other things. And what I found out in my first little few years in real estate, a lot of realtors own revenue properties, they own rentals, some of them do flips. Within the first few months of being in real estate, I had a couple of clients that I met. One was an offshot relative who had dabbled in his own sort of renovating. So we got talking about how we did things like that. And then a month or two later, I met a client in an open house who was desperate to sell his house. There was more complicated story behind it all. But I met him that night, listed his house, had the key to his home, which I went to the next day and realized the house was in very rough shape. And he had two teenage kids. His wife had died the year before of kidney problems. Turned out he was having massive fights with the neighbor, so was desperate to leave. But when I saw the house, I put it on the market and everybody saw what I saw, that it was a bit of a disaster. And by then I'd sold him a house to move into and he needed to get out. So my first property fell into my lap and there I was buying this bungalow that needed everything. 
So it was then, okay, now how do I do this? And so very novice and quite naive in the beginning, not like the TV shows at all, you know, it's where do you start? And so I tapped into the one offshot relative friend and said, okay, Bruce, where do I go from here? And he knew a few people and then they knew a few people. And I pulled together a group of guys, mostly I had one lady, she was a tile lady, but who helped me do the demolishing and helped me do things. But huge, huge learning curve from that first experience. I think everybody needs to do something in life once because you then find out what to do and what not to do. It didn't deter me at the end of the day. I kept right on going. Like after I did one, I met somebody else at that point through an open house who wanted to work with me to find properties. And then we ended up doing seven or eight houses together until we went our own ways. But that's amazing that you'd be willing to take on a totally different career and then even take on like a renovation project like early on. Like that's brave for sure. Well, I'd had my own sewing business while the kids were growing up that was interesting, kept me busy. But at the end of the day, I'd do my numbers and go, okay, I didn't lose any money, but this was not a viable business to leave nursing for. So yeah, yeah. Stayed after the first year or so, and then starting doing these flips that justified why I left nursing financially in the first five years, I made way more money than I had ever made in nursing. How long did it take for you to, once you left nursing to actually start to make basically the same, like obviously you, you take a loss for a while, but then how long did it take to make it Oh, back even with real estate, I was in real estate for nine months the first year, because by the time I'd finished all the courses and stuff, it was March. So that first fiscal year, I made the equivalent of what I would have made full-time as a nurse. Wow. Second year, That's awesome. I doubled. Third year, I quadrupled and I haven't looked back. So, you know, certainly now at 22 years later, I'm not actively as busy. And so the real estate side is there, but it's a whole changed field too. I mean, the whole real estate business has changed, Yeah. but the renovation hasn't. So I still, to this day, I do one house every eight to nine months. Good for you. That's awesome. So over the years, how many properties would you estimate? I know because you've been a part of flips too, where you've partnered and you've overseen flips. So how many would you kind of estimate you've been involved with? In I was 20... counting them up the other day. So including my own personal houses and my daughter's houses, I've renovated and flipped 58 properties. 58. And some of them have been brand new. There were seven that were brand new, you know, from the hole in the ground up. And they were all just myself involved. The first seven years that I was doing these renovations, I had two different business partners. I concluded at the end of seven years that my designs were better and I didn't like people who raced through things and cut corners kind of things. But 22 years ago, the whole city of Calgary licensing and monitoring program was completely different to non-existent. So you could have somebody come in and run wire and then finally bring in an electrician at the end or do all the plumbing and not need to have it inspected. So now 22 years later, it's become quite stringent because I think the city's had so many complaints from renovators and flippers that they're trying to monitor that. And about mm -hmm. well, they brought in that home warranty program for new builders and supposedly pre-COVID, that was supposed to be coming into effect for people like myself, who do renovations without getting the whole, you know, building permit. COVID put a stop to that. And now with, you know, cuts and things, I think it'll be on the back burner, but it's coming because there's far too many people that renovate and don't do a stellar job. 
And so homeowners move in and then things fall apart or paint falls off of ceilings and things like that. I actually have, I know of somebody now that the client moved in, the ceilings were painted latex paint over an oil-based paint. And the complaint from the realtor is, why is the paint falling off the ceiling all the time? Well, we know why, because they put the wrong mm -hmm. ceiling. So there's stories like that. And I think consumers are demanding that kind of thing. It will happen in the next few years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we'll start kind of in the past. So if you could just tell me a bit about your first flip. So how did that go? How did you get into it? What did you learn from it? And that kind of stuff. So the first flip was this bungalow in Palliser that was the gentleman that needed to move. The house yep. was just, had not been looked after in years and years. Windows didn't open. There was glass missing where he put garbage bags in front of it. The house, he had several cats, so there was a strong odor. So the house needed to be ripped completely apart. And one of the fellows that I found ordered the dumpster for me. He had guys that came in and ripped it out. And, you know, through just talking to people, I realized I needed windows and one of his buddies ordered windows for me. And it was really them kind of directing me as opposed to me directing them. So, you know, certainly learning curve there is to make sure you're well-researched to begin with. And the project ended up taking six months, three quarters of the way through, I went on holidays and as naive as I was, I prepaid these guys before I went away. And back. And of course, nothing had been done. So we had a strong discussion and I fired them and found a couple of other people. And by then I had wised up that I was being taken advantage of yeah. to get this house done. And we decided to move into it. And we lived in this house for three months. And then a realtor in my office phoned and had clients that wanted to move into it. Did you buy the property then from them? And then you renovated it? No, well, I bought the property from this fellow and his house. I see. Okay. Yeah. I bought it and it became yep. my first flip. At the end of the flip, we had been thinking of downsizing anyway. So we moved into this bungalow. It was actually too small of a house for us, but we were there for three months. A realtor ended up knocking on my door, basically had clients that wanted to buy it. So I happily sold it. Another house that I had been looking at that I was ready to buy, we ended up moving into that property and I renovated that house too. So it had a somewhat happy ending. The initial financial, though, I ended up losing about $10,000 on that initial house, initial project. But the information I learned from that was invaluable. So a, a huge list of what not to do, but the good takeaways from it. And, you know, one of the things I got talked into ripping all the stucco off the house because the guy who put in the windows cut too much stucco away from the windows and so I thought, okay, fine. I didn't research it. I didn't look into it. I just listened to what this contractor told me to do. Ended up paying, you know, another five, $6,000 by the time I had stucco removal and new siding put on. Now I know a lot better that there's things I could have patched and done. I could have put smart trim around windows and saved myself a ton yeah. of money. And every project is like that. So every step along the way, the projects I did with various, my business partners, I was listening and watching and learning from them, learning how to tile, learning how to, you know, organize things, learning what steps to take. But I was also examining their plans and their designs and going, well, why are you doing it this way? And coming up with my own formula of a better way of doing things that was perhaps more efficient, not necessarily cost saving, but I, you know, I felt my reputation was on the line. I was the owner, I was the realtor and realtor selling the house at the end of the day that I needed to make sure 
the people buying this house loved it and weren't going to find unexpected problems down the way. And so I, it became not a renovation to just make money, but, you know, have some enjoyment and fun, some creativity and to make money. Yeah, for sure. So real estate investors always like some sort of edge if possible. So just going to ask you, what's the best real estate advice you've ever received for investing or maybe something you've learned? So if it's not advice, maybe just some nuggets that you've learned to kind of you take with you Although, when you do flips. My one main client that I've now known for about 13 years, who is an investor. So he loves to buy houses and he the last few years has been buying 12, 14 houses a year but does not do hands-on. So he's completely finds the house, sends it out to get designs and so forth. And his goal is 100% money. And so he looks at, he calls it the push. How low can I buy this house? What's my cost and what's the net goal at the end of the day after expenses and commission and so forth. And he consults with me on just about every house that comes his way and we analyze it and we look at location, we look at what's going on in the neighborhood, how high he can push the price. Because there are some houses that he's done over the years where he's ended up getting the highest price in the neighborhood because he's had the nicest house. But that doesn't always work. Sometimes you can have you know dollar signs in your eyes and think, oh, this is a great project. It's a dump. I really need to fix it. But if you put so much money into it or if it needs extra things that you're not aware of, if it needs all the poly B removed, if it needs you know, a garage, but the ground is sloped, so you need to do a retaining wall and you've just added another six, 7,000 to your cost. Like if the cost exceeds the expectation, then you end up scrounging and trying to sell a house just to get rid of it because you need your money back and potentially breaking even or losing a little bit. So, you know, the one thing that I have learned partially from this main client now, but just from my own experience, is research, research, research. Like you've got to make sure that you have all your finances in place, but that you're picking a house that is in a great neighborhood that will warrant a good top dollar that you can push the upper edge a little bit because buyers want to be in, you know, some of the popular neighborhoods in Calgary, like Lakeview, like Bonavista, like Wildwood, the neighborhoods where there's schools, where there's walkability and things like that. Used to be inner city was a high draw. Now with COVID and downtown being what it is, it's perhaps still there. But I think it's that next ring around downtown that has become very popular. And with the ring road, then Oak Ridge and Palliser and all the communities up and down the ring road have gone up, increased in value and leaps and bounds. And so those are neighborhoods that I now look at to purchase. Yeah, that's great. You just answered. I was going to ask you what neighborhoods you like to flip in, and you just basically answered that already. So that's awesome. Well, and then sometimes it depends. You know, sometimes things fall into your lap. You know, this client I was talking about, you know, so many people that he gets people phoning him up. Sometimes they're realtors, sometimes they're other investors, sometimes they're just people who know people because they know he likes to buy and renovate houses. And so he'll get leads on places. And sometimes the price seems too good to be true until you start researching and looking at it and realizing it's backing onto a really busy road or it was a hoarder's house and there's massive damage inside. And sometimes it's okay to buy houses like that too. If you're going to strip it back to the studs, it doesn't matter what the inside looks like because you're going to clean it out anyway. And the construction guys all prefer that. It's so much easier to do a renovation when there's no drywall and the house is just cleaned out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. If someone's starting out and they're like yourself, say 20 years ago, what advice would you give 
someone new to flipping or to real estate, if they want to, you know, try to buy a house and renovate it, flip it and make money, what's some advice you'd give them? Well, I think back 22 years ago, acquiring a mortgage was very easy. So when I bought another house, I would phone up my mortgage broker and say, hey, bought another house. If she had all my information on file, that was great. I didn't have to update it. She'd process it. And within a week, I'd have a mortgage. And sometimes I would have several on the go. Sometimes I had a few properties I would buy and I would turn into short-term rentals as I knew I would renovate them. And so getting mortgages was easy until about five or six years ago. And when the whole mortgage industry changed, it also changed how I was able to obtain money. So I think potential investors and flippers need to find out where their money is going to come from. They need to either have a good mortgage broker, they have to see what equity they have in their own property, see if they can get a line of credit that's secured by their house. And so ultimately, when we moved into the house we're in now, we were able to get a line of credit on the property. And that has been my source of money for buying a house and doing the renovation, which leaves me with very little else to buy a second property. So that's why I just do one at a time. I just, at this point now, I can't get a mortgage, partially because I'm older, partially, you know, my husband's retired and I've tried and tried pooling even my daughter into the equation. And there's so many restrictions now on getting mortgages. I can't mm. get a conventional mortgage. I could get a B lender or I could get a C lender, which is the private mortgage companies. And I can do that. It just bothers me to have to pay 8% on top of all the other costs. So if some stellar deals came along and I thought, yes, this is a great thing to do, I would go the route of private lending. But I think that's the number one thing, you know, a potential investor needs to know where their money's going to come from, not to just buy the house, but the money to do the renovations. Yeah, like those extra costs that come up during the flip for sure. Yeah. Nowadays, most flips are going to be at least a hundred to 150,000 for a very, very basic paint, appliance, flooring, just the basics. As soon as you start moving walls and stripping out wiring and electrical, you're up into the 200, 250 range. And then when you start changing roof lines and adding on additions, it goes up from there too. A new person into this business needs to know their money source. They need to have a lot of research into what they're capable of doing. What's their skill set? You know, Can they put anything into the project as far as electrical work, as far as you know, can they paint? Can they do this, that, and the other nicely, not just, you know, haphazard. They need to research location. It's very important that you've got to pick a location where people are willing to come and buy the house. Or, you know, it can be a new area where the houses are smaller, the prices are lower, and you might just luck out and find a house for whatever personal reasons people have up and sold. And it just needs a coat of paint. It just needs new appliances but the market's there because it's a younger group of people buying the house. And so it's really researching and being very comfortable with what you're delving into so that you don't find yourself, you know, head above water and not able to complete the project. And we see that all the time in Calgary now, projects partially started and houses up for sale because people don't have the resources anymore or their contractors have left. And that's the other thing is finding a group of people that you can work with, even if it's just collecting names to begin with. Contractors all know other contractors. So if you can find a couple of names, ask them who they use and what they use, and then interview them and make sure you get quotes from them as to what it's going to cost. 
I've now been doing this enough that there are some guys I don't bother getting quotes with because I trust them explicitly. I know they're going to give me the best price they can. And we go with that. But most of the time I have some sort of number on paper, you know, this year is particularly difficult because of supply issues. I haven't had any problems getting materials. It's just the cost of everything, anything that's petroleum based, anything coming from the States, ports and things like that. Just everything's gone up by about a third. Yeah, for sure. That's great advice. I was going to ask you actually about you know, vetting and finding quality contractors. So you would use someone that you've already have a relationship with and ask them for somebody else in the industry for a referral. That'd be obviously yeah, a this, smart way the to The last go. project that I was on, I was looking for a painter and my drywall guys knew painters. My carpenter knew a painter. You know, everybody knows people. And so then I phoned and contacted them. You know, I got my aluminum metal roofing company from a referral and then they knew other people and the spray foam person knew painters and new roofing companies. So it, it's just because they work in the industry all the time, they need other people and they see what they do for quality of work. For me too, communication is a huge factor. I need to have people that I can talk to, communicate to, and that they're willing to communicate with one another. Vitally important when a furnace is going in and he needs to get a hold of the gas fitter and he needs to get a hold of the electrician, that they're all on the same page and they're willing to communicate with one another. So start with someone you trust and then kind of build your network from there would be great advice for sure. Yeah, it's certainly a way to go. It's to start building that list of people that you can go to. And then I'm very loyal and I stick with them. And I found too that contractors love to be paid and paid quickly and on time. And that just raises your name up in their books tenfold because they go, oh yeah, they're surely calling me again. Yes, I'll work for her because she pays me on time. And so it means I get repeat contractors willing to work for me again, which is what has happened over the years. You know, yeah, very good. I mean, there's people fall by the wayside or they move or, you know, you then have to find some other people. But I've now found it's relatively easy, even though, you know, I know people looking for a small job in their house, it's hard to do, you know, lacking in handyman type guys, but. So you've touched on some of this stuff already, but so with the current market challenges, so we've got interest rates that are rising, obviously we've got inflation we're dealing with, there's a current labor shortage. So it seems to be hard to find people with the skills that you need. So obviously there's some challenges there. Do you see any opportunities? The market's transitioning right now. We see uh, it's slowing down and you know some of the values are coming down. So what do you see as maybe some opportunities coming up, even though there's a lot of headwind coming our way? <laughs> you know, there always has been. So, I mean, over the 22 years I've been doing this, there's always been waves of up and down. There's always been nervousness of, oh, you know, who's going to buy the houses and so forth. Calgary is such a vibrant city. There's all kinds of people that want to move here for our weather, for now the technology jobs they're trying to bring in. So lots of stories of people from BC and Ontario wanting to cash out and get higher price for their house and come West. So I think there will always be an opportunity for investors in flipping. There's now such a shortage of rental properties. I think people, if they find a really dumpy house and just clean it up to a rental standard, they're going to have that place rented in a heartbeat. So Building, same thing. I think there, I look at the city expanding all on the periphery and there's all kinds of building going on. It's a bit slower than it used to be, but there's a lot of people that want to buy brand new and they're coming from something somewhere. And so, you know, there's always going to be a need for renovators and flippers. 
And I think the buying public has become very aware through maybe television shows and what they're reading of what to look for. So they're picking out properties that aren't done to 100% standards. So I think a renovator needs to go in knowing that they've got to do a pretty good job. They've got to tick the boxes. They've got to make sure that they follow the guidelines. They won't pass city inspections to begin with. But even if they do a cosmetic renovation that doesn't need a permit, it still needs to be done to a certain degree of standards so people will recognize that and buy it. I think there's always going to be a need for renovations. I haven't stopped in 22 years, despite the changing market. I don't plan on stopping until yeah. I basically can't do it. So. Yeah, for sure. So I know you just recently completed a flip. I kind of like to dive into that now. So maybe if you could share some information about where it was, that kind of stuff. And it is sold now, right? You've actually, you've already sold it. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a house in Lakeview. I absolutely love Lakeview. The value continues to go up. People are constantly looking to find properties in Lakeview to buy. And now because most of these houses were built in the 1960s, they're old enough that people have started knocking them down and building brand new. It's, you know, slightly shorter lots for, for whatever reason. They built lots that were wide, but not as deep, but still lots of room to do a decent renovation. And I think the buying public are looking. This one that I bought was a 1200 square foot bungalow with a carport. Absolutely original from 1962. Not a thing had been done to it. And according to the neighbors, the owners loved woodwork. They loved concrete. The Backyard had more concrete around their fire pit than you can imagine. 800 pounds of concrete were taken out of the backyard. And the basement, wood paneling, wood, wood, wood. So it was very apparent to me when I walked through this. This was a property that my client and I actually bought back in February. And then he basically signed it off to me to let me run the project. And so it was apparent that the house needed to be stripped right back to the studs because of the old wiring and the old plumbing, the old furnace. And when it was all stripped back, it was easier then to see this big rectangle and the carport that was attached to the side wasn't 100% attached to the house. So we ended up ripping the whole carport off, using the concrete pad that was underneath as a base and then rebuilding the wall and the roof. So the roof all connected. So the new carport area has become the new master bedroom ensuite and closet. And the one thing that I had to keep in mind was where the foundation was that plumbing needed to go through the old house station. So I had to keep plumbing really close to that wall. And then basically spray foamed the concrete that was underneath the carport, ran heat ducts through there, put in more insulation. And so it's now all sealed, waterproofed, and insulated and part of the house. And so it's just been a progress over the last, well, since March 1st, of reframing, rebuilding this house, I work with a drafts person that we went back and forth 21 times with different diagrams, tweaking measurements and design ideas until it was at the city permit stage. I'm wondering, was there any challenges with city permitting? Was it any delays, that kind of thing? Not at all. The permit went in and within seven business days, I had my building permit. Oh, that's awesome. And that's another thing to check into is you need a good drafts person that A lot of it's all done electronically now. There's no running down to City Hall. So she puts everything in. The city reviews it and it's usually about seven days. As long as you don't have anything that's completely wild or different. As soon as you start excavating and adding, you can add 400 square feet to a property without needing a development permit. It still is under a building permit, but it takes a little longer. So a couple of weeks. 
as soon as you go over that 400 square feet, if you're going to excavate, you're into a development permit phase, and that can be six to eight months. So it can be so lengthy. how many square feet did that carport add to the It added house? another 400 square feet. So it's a finished house now, 1,600 square feet. So you um, didn't need a development permit then? No, because the carport was already there, and it was just basically a reframing of what was there. Is so, it because you didn't excavate? Let's say that carport was 500 square feet. Would you have needed a demo? Even though you weren't going to excavate, would you have I needed because it? Because the carport was there. And when we put the initial drawings in, we thought we were able to use the existing roof. But because of the way the roof was not connected to the house, it just wasn't properly done. Yeah. Carpenter ended up taking it off and reframing it. But, you know, the city, I think, assumed that the four or 500 square feet, the 400 square feet that were there, we're just going to be incorporated into the house. So framing inspector came by. He was fine with everything that was done. So it was passed. But had it been bigger, I think it's still, as long as it was an existing structure that was on an RPR, even if it had been a 600 square foot carport, it would have been fine because I wasn't excavating. Mm. But if I got all that concrete and wanted to dig a basement, I would have been into development permit phase. And it's you can't even start the other part of the house until the whole project is cleared for development permit. So, so huge delays if you're going to go over that 400 square feet. Huge delays. And so, I mean, I'm at the stage now where I don't mind doing additions if they're within 400 square feet or doing cantilevers or adding on, say, mudrooms and things where you can bump out and run some heat into it without digging. Because you can add some square footage to a project without having to go through that whole long-winded process through the city. And I probably now at this point won't personally build again. If I build, I would hire a company to do the building for me and take me to lockup. But now moving forward, I mean, this is how I do most of my renovations now. I pretty well strip houses out so that I can see what I'm working with. Then once we got the framing done, it was just one trade after another. You know, it's get the framing done, get the wiring and electrical done, pass all those permits, put the boards on, get it drywalled and mudded, and we're now at the stage where it's finishing. So getting the finishing carpentry done, the tiling's almost done, appliances come next week. You know, we're getting to the final ends and then the painter will come in and do the walls and spray the doors and we're almost done. And then there's just a little bit of exterior landscaping and so forth to do. Because of Lakeview and just what it is, I think there were people back in the spring and into June driving around looking for dumpsters out on front lawns. And the couple that bought my house, that's how they found the house. They walked in and spoke to my carpenter that was on site who gave them my name and the rest is history. So oh, that's great. So you bought when the market was kind of red hot in February and then saw the market pulling back, right? We saw like uh -huh. with interest rates climbing and things starting to cool off. Were you getting nervous? And then you got supply chain issues and that kind of stuff that was going on. Like, well, and feeling... certainly, I mean, I had put together a budget on this house. I have exceeded my budget by about 60,000. There were things that just all the, the metal roofing caused a lot of grief and cost way more than I thought it was going to with supply issues and problems. The spray foam insulation cost more than I had budgeted for. There were a few other items along the way that just didn't anticipate, you know, paint going up as much as it did and things like that. Fortunately, Lakeview as a neighborhood has gone up extensively in price too. So I was able to charge our ask, knowing that there was four houses now that are direct comparables that also sold 
you know, over a million and had that price point. So I had lots to compare to what I was asking and what I ended up getting for the house. Okay. Why the metal roof? What was the driver for the, um, low, with the metal a roof? A low-pitched roof. And so I had a shingle person come out who said strongly advised against that, even though there had been a shingle roof on the low-pitched house, we now had extended it over the carport area. The other option was to do a membrane roof, but I have found that a lot of buyers don't like membrane roofs. They just have a bad reputation. They don't last a lifetime. So I was using Lowe's as a supplier and the fellow there kind of talked me into using them to supply the metal roofing and that the company could do the takeoff on the roof and supply all the materials. It was more money than the membrane, but it didn't seem to be exceedingly so. But just with issues that happened with shipments getting lost and replacements and so on and so forth, it's ended up costing me more than I thought. The nice thing with the metal roofing, it's a lifetime warranty. And I think because of the low pitch, that was probably the best choice at the end of the day. Fortunately, you know, still ending up making a profit. Yes, it cost me more money, but if I did it again, would I do a membrane? Potentially, you know, I would look at that again. I don't like yeah, yeah. with low pitch roofs or flat roofs because they just spell a problem right to begin with. The buying public doesn't like them. And the other option with this house, I could have had all new roof trusses, but at the time, back in March, April, roof trusses were really difficult to get. And so it would have meant trying to do the house without a roof. And the price would have been driven up quite a bit, I would think, right? If to change those trusses and well, the trusses the were going to add another thirty thousand to the project minimum. And then I couldn't get them. And, you know, I had people in place that could hoist the trusses up, that could put them in place. My carpenter could have done that. So that wasn't an issue. It was the cost and the supply. So in other years, that might not have been an issue. And that might have been a good option. Because then by the time you weigh out not doing spray foam on a low pitch roof and doing asphalt shingles, the cost probably would have been about the same. Yeah, yeah. That makes and, sense. Kind of these two next questions are kind of similar. One is basically with some challenges that you faced and then lessons learned. So from this flip, you know, with the market changing and the roof sound like it was a challenge, right? This metal roof. The first time I've done a metal roof, I'll have to think long and hard if I do that again. Same with spray foaming an entire house. I probably should have done some bat insulation in the one part that would saved me probably a few thousand dollars. You know, I think every single house that I have done, I have learned a lesson or two. And sometimes it's a design idea. You think you've got everything on paper until it shows up in the house and you can physically walk the walk and you go, well, this is a little tight, or maybe I should have moved this over a little bit. And so there's always those questions that come up. This house, yes, there were just some supply issues, some roofing issues that I don't know that I would do again. There are other really positive things. You know, the new carpenter that I have found is fantastic. The new painter I've got is great. So I've met a couple of new people along the way that will, you know, bode really well with the next project. They've all been asking me what my next project is going to be. And so we're all systems go. So everybody, I just need to find it, you know, and so lessons learned. I mean, those are some of the lessons learned. You know, I thought I had budgeted with a contingency in mind, and I think that's important to do, which I did. I've used up that contingency. So Next house, I'll maybe add a bit more to my overall budget to see whether I'm in line with making a profit. The one thing that's going to change a little bit is, you know, part of why I pre-sold this house, I usually never pre-sell a house because the person buying the house feels like they have part ownership in that property. And some people are very nice about it and they come in, well, 
Can I change your paint color selection? Do you mind if I change your hood fan? Do you mind if, you know, and they're nice about it, but they're wanting their personal touch on it. And it's a treasure for a lot of people to find a house in the three quarter done stage that my house was in so they can personalize it. The couple that bought this house are so lovely that I didn't mind changing some things. There's a couple of things they wanted to do over and above that they're willing to pay extra for. So we talked about that too, and they have a credit for carpet flooring. They wanted to do something different and they'll pay the difference. And so that's all been worked out. But normally I don't do that because it does bring about a whole level of questions and people coming and stopping at your house and bothering construction workers and things like that. Yeah, I bet. So how did you find this property? Was it on market or off market when you? It was on MLS. It was on listed. We were one of eight people writing offers on this property. And so it was listed at the time, I thought, over market value. It sold for another 40,000 over that. Yes, did we pay too much? Absolutely paid too much for this house. But based on bungalows now selling in Lakeview, we're right in the range. And I think once those prices go up, I don't think we're going to see properties come down that much in Lakeview because people like myself and all the other renovators in Lakeview have renovated properties that have all been sold for much higher than they would have been a year ago. So the ratio is there, you know, we're now going to be buying higher in that neighborhood, but you're going to be selling higher. And the same holds true for Oak Ridge and Wildwood and Bonavista for sure. And some of the other sort of sought after neighborhoods, Calvin Grove, Chinook Park, things like that. People are now buying these 50, 60 year old houses and knocking them down and building two stories. So that's going to be the next phase in a lot of these neighborhoods. Yeah, for sure. The market conditions kind of dictated what happened there. So you had eight people trying to get the house. You guys got your offer accepted. Kind of in February, a lot of people were waiving home inspection. They were going in without financing. Is that how you guys got yours? And you went 40,000 over. Well, um, and we weren't actually the first choice. The first choice put in a condition and because their price was the right price, apparently the sellers went back and said, well, you remove the whatever condition it was and they wouldn't. Went to the second guy who had a really long possession date and wouldn't move his possession date. So we were the third offer. Mm. And the sellers basically came to us and said, you know, you've already written an offer with no conditions. Will you match this price? And so we did. So we ended up, you know, I had no conditions. When I'm stripping a house completely, I never do a home inspection. What's the point? I'm ripping everything out. And Mm -hmm. I don't really care what the roof is like. I don't care what the foundation is like because I'll fix everything. Unless I can obviously see that it's listing to one side or I'm in a floodplain or something like that, then I just don't buy the house. But I have a pretty good eye at this point to know what's going on in neighborhoods and to pick a property that I think is a solid enough house because I don't care what's up in the attic, you know, the insulation. It just doesn't make any difference to me. I'm going to take it all out. So it makes it easier buying a house to do that. And then because I have my line of credit that I use, I don't have a finance condition either. As this market slows down a little bit, it gives investors a chance to think about what they're buying and they're not pushed you know, to the nth degree to make a decision right away, or you're not finding yourself in one of eight and paying too much money. So I'm hoping come the fall, prices will be what they are, but that you'll be able to buy a house. For without, the price yeah, yeah. And without that competition where you're going in and there's a bidding war, that kind of stuff, like that's a tough market to be buying a property in for sure for anyone whether you're investing or buying a house for yourself. Like that is a good thing about the market pulling back, just getting more balanced for sure. 
so if we can just dive into some of the numbers of that house. So if you wouldn't mind me asking, like, what was the purchase price? We paid six seventy for it. Six seventy, and then your rental. You said you went over on the renovation costs, right? So what was some of those numbers? So I'm at about three seventy five to three eighty. There's a few bills that I don't have yet, so I may have another shock when I get finishing carpenters bill and things. But I've tried to budget enough for that. I think I'll be at about 380 when I'm done. Wow. Basically, you converted a 1960s 1200 square foot bungalow into a 1600 square foot bungalow. Yeah, it's essentially a 2022 house. We buried the electrical wiring. It's now the sub panels in the garage. The garage was built after the house was built. So it's not quite as old, but you know, did new siding and all that stuff on the garage. The concrete pad is good. So I didn't have to redo the garage. But the house is essentially completely rebuilt, except the existing roof and the foundation. Like the walls are on all now two by six construction instead of two by four. So the R value is now to today's standards, the electrical of obviously to today's standards, plumbing's all completely brand new, high efficiency furnace, high efficiency hot water tank, vacuum flow is all in, all the windows are triple pane windows. Oh, you, you even went to triple pane. Yeah, triple pane windows and the skylights are triple pane as well. So. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So you sold it kind of off market, right? Do you feel like, you know, because sometimes if you bring it to market, you have a bigger buyer pool. Was that kind of tempting to do or you were happy with just? I debated for about 10 minutes and then decided in the middle of July with the market slowing down that these were good people that had sold their house. They needed a place to live. They loved the house. And I felt that I was getting pretty fair dollar for the house. And it was comparable to the house that had just sold three days earlier, same square footage, but didn't have a new roof, didn't have new furnace and hot water tank, and was a lot closer to the Glenmore wall. So, you know, they had been in that house and just there were multiple offers on it and they didn't get the house. So I think that's what prompted them to start driving around a little bit more. And they'd been into all the other houses in Lakeview that were all smaller, but that just didn't quite fit their family of five. And so part of my house was that there was a space in the basement to build a third bedroom. So we had to wall off a bedroom and I absorbed that cost of doing that into the purchase. So I think they felt that they got a really good deal based on what was going on in Lakeview. I'm very comfortable with where we've ended up. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a win-win for everyone then. They well, get a property it, they love. Yeah, and it took the stress off because who knows, you know, in September when this house is 100% done, I could put it on the market and be sitting. And so I made that decision to go ahead and sell this property while I had people that were very keen and coming off of like the downside of a very busy market and hard to find a house. And so, you know, grab the offer and take it kind of thing. Yeah. For sure. This is awesome, Shirley. I really appreciate you joining me today and sharing all these great nuggets of information. So if people want to reach out to you, you also have your real estate license. You're with uh, real estate mm -hmm. professionals, right? Right. So where would they find you if they want to, you know, possibly do a renovation or just contact you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Probably through my cell phone or through email at ShirleyEvansCalgary at gmail.com is probably the best. I do have a website. It's um, not as up to date as it should be, but housesincalgary.com. And there's contact information there. And then my cell phone number too. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for yeah, coming online here and just sharing all this 
great info. Oh, you're very welcome. No, pleasure talking to you. And um, yeah, look forward to chatting again. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent. I also have a certification as a master home inspector. I'm currently partnering on a property flip in Calgary with Shirley Evans, who I consider to be a professional property flipper. Shirley has a wealth of real estate knowledge. We're going to be offering Eventbrite meetups at the property. So if you're in the Calgary area, we'd love for you to stop by and check it out. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, my number is 587-893-2272. You can follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey or check out my website and that's just coreypeckford.com. Plus, you can also join our new Facebook group, Calgary Real Estate Investing Group. That's Craig for short. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.